Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Coffee Connections. My name is Seth Weiner, and I am your Roctioneer. It's been a minute. Well, some could say it's been a year, but it's not a full year just because it changed to New Year. And I know it's February, but I'm going to do it. Don't get mad. Happy New Year, folks. Uh, hope, I sincerely hope everyone's doing well. Surprisingly, right? Every time we have a Coffee Connection, it's a gorgeous day in Atlanta. I, I, I'm just, I don't know if there's a, you know, anything to do there, but I'm just saying it is a gorgeous day here. Uh, it's great to have you all. I've got um, news. We're, we're back. We've got our seasons being booked out. So uh, we've got several Coffee Connections coming up. They're all live uh, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And you go to coffeeconnections.live for a full listing of all the episodes coming up, which includes... Good Muse Animal Foundation, Bert's Big Adventure, and the Georgia Lions Lighthouse Foundation, just to name a few. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and jump in. So let's go ahead and introduce today's guest, shall we? Uh, we've got the Gift of Music Foundation, and we've got both their executive director, Chris Monroe, and their VP and instruments program director, Scott Kiefer. Uh, now, you're wondering, the Gift of Music Foundation, they are dedicated to creating greater accessibility to music programs, instruments, teachers, and the overall benefits of music education. So let's go ahead and uh, bear with me, folks, as I get everything back in. It's been a minute since I got everyone uh, onto one of these, and boom! Hey, it worked! I'm going to go ahead and switch you up here, there. All right. Welcome to the program, Chris and Scott. How are y'all? Hey, Seth. Hey, we're doing very good. We appreciate you inviting us in today. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, before we jump into anything, it's Coffee Connections. So, do you all drink coffee? And if so, do you have a coffee mug? Don't have one handy, but yes. There we go. All right. Well, let's see what you got here. Oh, wait, he World's stole mine. He stole my mug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you said world get best boss, I'm thinking he's talking about Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, fellas, do you, do you both drink coffee? Sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris, uh, what's your favorite type? I'm a dark roast, fresh ground kind of guy, you know, doing the radio thing for so many years, getting up at three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning. You, If you don't like coffee, then you like coffee eventually. So uh -huh. I love it. And Scott, yourself? Uh, I, I like like a breakfast blend, usually a little bit lighter and I'm, you know, loaded up with cream and sugar and everything else. It's basically, you know, like chocolate milk with a little coffee added. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, are, are we more a truck stop, uh, coffee? Like, are we talking QT? Are we more of a Starbucks or like, nah, always at home? Don't need designer coffee. That's for sure. No. All right. Well, 
All right. Well, uh, I want to thank you both for your time. I'm going to pop out and leave it to you all to uh, tell everyone about the Gift of Music Foundation and uh, share away. Okay. Well, again, Seth, thank you so much for having us on today. We're we're always delighted, and I'm, I'm always humbled when somebody reaches out to this organization, no matter how much we grow, how old we become, uh, that people are interested in what we do. Um, about the Gift of Music Foundation and, and where it started and, and what we do, actually started back in 2014, the actual concept late in the year in the fall, I was teaching with a, a band program and I had at that point been a freelance music teacher for about 25 years. And during that time, had of course, seen the decline in arts funding and the expense of arts funding rise and a lot of kids having to make the, the choice between, well, am I gonna be in band or am I not? You know, Can we afford it? Um, can I get the instrument that I need? Um, is the class available? You know, we, we were seeing a lot of that. So there was the, the director that I was working for at the time actually asked me if I had some spare instruments laying around for a multitude of her kids. This was a Title I school um, that didn't have instruments. And, and that's really where the concept came from. I thought, well, if, if, you know, I've got two or three instruments lying around, how many other thousands, tens of thousands, millions of instruments could be potentially laying around that could be put into the kids' uh, hands and give them that gift to music. Um, so that's really where the 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 really the foundation started and, and is still really at the core of our mission is finding unused, unwanted instruments and then getting them into kids' hands. Obviously, the the foundation has has grown and evolved a lot. We're coming up on our seventh birthday this year in uh, in May. Uh, so the original idea really was just to get them in, fix them up, and give them back out. You start to find a lot of holes in that uh, process when you when you do that, and, and a lot of times you're not really fixing a problem. So we have really been on the innovative side of coming up with programs that meet uh, today's climate, um, the needs of parents, and, and their economic situation. Um, all of our programs are, are income-based. So uh, that's really, you know, where we started. And, and again, the overall mission, I think you stated it well, really is to create accessibility to musical instruments and, and music education and its, its many benefits. And I'll leave it over to Scott to talk about a little bit more about our connection with schools and, and our really our, our foundational program, the Access to Instruments program. Well, thank you, Chris. It, you know, it started out as that simple little idea of how can we find instruments that somebody isn't using and get them to someone who needs them. Um, we had a couple of detours along the way and picked up some other parts of the, of the foundation that have been successful right after we started. Um, one of the local school systems eliminated uh, elementary level beginning band. We found some resources when we found out about it and we kind of you know, zigged instead of zagged a little bit and found a way to restart some of those uh, deleted uh, band programs as after school programs. We're able to rehire some of the teachers that had been uh, put out of a job. So, you know, we have done some other things, but as Chris said, it really revolves around instruments. That's really where the, the core and the bread and butter of what we do is. And, you know, it simply started with let's find people to donate instruments find a way to get them cleaned up and, and ready to go and provide them to kids that need them. Um, what it has evolved into over time is we use basically a, a music store type model of instrument rentals um, so we can control the inventory of instruments. So if we give it to someone and they decide to drop out of the program, it could wind up back in a pawn shop or back on a shelf somewhere. So by 
operating through the process of, of instrument rentals, we then keep those instruments in our control all the time. We can maintain where they go. Um, what makes it innovative is that we're the only ones that offer free and reduced price rentals. That's the charitable part of our organization. You won't find a commercial music store that can or will do that. So that's really the bread and butter. Yes, we can provide an instrument rental just like any music store can, but we can look at each individual family and say, what's your economic need? If you're if a traditional program won't work for you, sometimes there's a credit check that's involved and they can't get through that. We bypass all of that. We qualify people based on income based criteria and find a program that's right for them where we can either get them an instrument at a much lower monthly rental cost where they can still own an instrument, or in some cases, no no rent at all. We just provide it to them for the use of the school year at no uh, monthly rental uh, if the economic situation is bad. So our goal is to have not one single child that wants to join the band and is told, sorry, we can't get you an instrument. There's not one for you. Mom and dad can't afford one you don't have an option. We we have a band director we've worked with exclusively for a long time who uh, made an off the cuff comment to us recently that really hit us right between the eyes. He said, I've, I've been a director for over 20 years and this is the first year that I've not had one single child that couldn't join the program because they couldn't get an instrument. And that's because they work with Gift of Music to make sure that every kid has that opportunity. So that's really what we're all about. We're all about finding opportunities right now all around the Metro Atlanta area, where are students and families that need help acquiring instruments. We work with the band directors, we have field representatives, we get out there and we connect the dots and we say, okay, here's, here's kids that need instruments that can't go through a traditional program. We're going to go in there and solve that problem and get them free and reduced instruments wherever we can. Awesome. Well, I, I should I should have noted earlier. Um, I am a band nerd. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I found my way in high school. Uh, was pretty lost until my junior year when I got back into the band. I was in band in middle school, but those were awkward years. We won't talk about those. Uh, <laughs> but you know, in high school, I found band and and it changed my life and got me into college. Uh, literally went to Florida State, was in the Marching Chiefs and all the bands there. And that's where I got my career going into being a promoter. And now you're a rock chineer. So, and um, I think that's what really is so important to us is everybody that's just about everybody that's ever joined a band uh, says it changed my life. It, it gave me direction. It taught me things that I didn't have anywhere else. And we're so cognizant of the value of it, uh, for especially young kids that the idea that somebody's going to choose to walk away from it because of money, we just couldn't let that happen. Absolutely. And, and, it, and it, it's, it drives me nuts that they're, that the, and again, this, you're talking about taking music programs out of schools so that 20 years ago that started. And I can't only imagine where it's at now, but the thing yep. that makes no sense is music teaches people how to learn. And no matter what with music, like unlike any other thing, if you pick up a guitar, a trumpet, a cello, whatever it is, if you practice, you might not be the best, but you're going to be better than when you started that morning, no matter what. Yep. Where else? So that, I mean, that's a, that lesson, like you don't get, where do you, you don't get that in life elsewhere. Well, and, and it's one of the few things that actually uses both sides of the brain simultaneously. Hmm. And, you know, the discipline that's involved that sometimes is not, you know, given anywhere else or taught anywhere else, the, how to work together, how to be part of a group and not a standout. There's so many lessons in music education that are beneficial, whether or not you decide to go on and do music professionally. And let's face it, most people don't. 
But uh, as you said, and as Scott alluded to, everybody has that's been in band or orchestra or choir has some sort of positive thing to say about it. Absolutely. Well, let's break this down a little bit. So what's the size of your organization? Is it just the two of you? Do you have, what, how, how large of an organization are we talking about? Well, it, it was the two of us for a long time. Uh, <laughs> Scott and I did a, a lot of stuff. Uh, we were able to, uh, uh, to hire one person kind of on a contract basis a few years ago, knowing that uh, they were going to help us in the repair shop and in our connections with schools. Um, in the past year, We've grown now between uh, contractors and full-time employees and part-time. We're, we're at 15 now. Oh, so wow. We've, we've grown considerably over the past two years. And we've added some different business models. Uh, you know, we've branched out. One of the things that was, um, you know, we found a need right away was all these instruments come in. Most of them are in some state of disrepair. So from the very beginning, we had to solve that problem of how are we going to get these instruments fixed up and ready to go back. You know, we started just finding some partners that could do it on the side, some friends, some, mm -hmm. some uh, businesses that would help us out a little bit. But we very quickly realized we had to have control of that ourselves. So the first big investment, once we started to get a few grant fundings and things like that, was to build an in-house repair shop. And that really started the ball rolling when we didn't have to spend money outside of the door to get instruments fixed up. We could do a lot of the work ourselves. That was the first employee that we hired. Um, and that now is one of our biggest uh, features of our foundation. We have a full service, one of the one of the top repair facilities in Atlanta. We have two very, very experienced, well-trained technicians. Um, so, and, and that's, that's a separate model of our organization. The repair shop is its own entity. Customers off the street can come in and get instruments repaired um, in addition to the ones that we own in the school instruments. Mm -hmm. So it becomes a source of revenue to help fund mm -hmm. everything else we do. You know, if you, if you take yeah. your trumpet into our store to get repaired, the money that it costs to get it repaired goes into repairing the instruments that we own that, that go to kids who can't afford it. So it's that all makes a lot of sense, yeah. model. model. And what's your reach? I mean, are we talking just inside uh, Metro Atlanta or are we talking from the, Atlanta to Rome? Moment, what are we? At the moment, we, we kind of draw a hundred mile radius around Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, that's not our long-term goal. That goal is, or that's in position now because that's our kind of ability to reach out and be able to stay in control of those instruments. We mm -hmm. want to be able to see them, repair them. You know, if, if one of our instruments is in a school and a, a spring falls off of it, we need to be able to show up and fix it. And if it's in Kansas right now, we're not able to do that. So, you know, we had a kind of a controlled growth strategy to start small and move outward. Now we're reaching 25, 30 schools uh, in the metro area. We go west to the Alabama line. You know, we, like I said, we cover that 100-mile radius. Mm -hmm. But we have uh, anywhere between this, this – by the end of this school year, we'll have between 600 to 800 instruments in kids' hands um, and it's at the rate we're growing right now, we keep adding uh, staff to help handle the road work and visit the schools. We mm -hmm. kind of see that growth model almost doubling every year for the foreseeable future. And do you have a physical location for um, for the uh, rentals and what have you? Is it like an actual store, like a music shop that we would? We do. We're kind of we're kind of a hybrid, Seth. We're we have our um, our uh, executive offices, which we're coming to you from right now. And then we have a retail space up front and also 
most of our stuff is done direct to parent, direct to student at, mm -hmm. at, at the schools. Um, but we also have a sales program that we can talk about, which uh, is, you know, a portion of our donated stuff comes in and we sell it kind of on the goodwill model where people donate and then they sell stuff to raise funds for their mission. So um, we're in the process of uh, getting ready to expand that footprint as well as uh, some other part of our footprint here as well, uh, because we are expanding. But we do have we're we're not a traditional music store, but we have some aspects of mm -hmm. a traditional music store, if that makes sense. And of course, we yeah. have the warehouse and the the big repair center all in this one headquarters location, Northwest Atlanta Powers Ferry area. And is this what you all do full time, or or do you have other jobs? And this is just part time. We do it full time. Uh, wow. We also have we other jobs right now. Yeah, it's it's a full time <laughs> job. Uh, in fact, Scott and I just began taking a small salary for the first time this uh, this seventh year. Uh, we, we, we obviously were able to, to forgo that for a long time, uh, to put that money into development and to people, because without people, you know, you very quickly learn that, you know, your bandwidth is only so wide, uh, you can only do so much with two people. So, you know, no we, pun intended. We, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely. Now, um, are there other organizations that are similar to you all in other, in, in Atlanta or in other you know, states that, that, uh, you're connected with? Um, there have been some people that are, tr that have tried to do this. Um, there's nobody to my knowledge with our exact model. I mean, we've kind mm -hmm. of taken this thing and we just innovate every day, every month, every year, we come up with, you know, different programs. There's certainly foundations out there that are, are doing work, uh, in this area. Um, but again, one of our models, Seth, is that you know, again, when you give somebody something and there are some organizations out there that will that will give a package of instruments to a school, but you can't really approach them. They have to approach you. Yeah. We never want it to be that. Um, and then the other thing is when you give something 100 percent free to somebody, it's generally never as valued. Um, yeah. So we, trust me, be it a physical item or that. services. <laughs> Absolutely. So we try to make sure that everybody has the proverbial skin in the game and, uh, you know, that they're they're part of the process. And we, we talk about family a lot and, and, and uh, partnerships. And that's what we do. You know, we're, we're not here to, uh, Scott and I, to buy a bigger yacht. Um, we're, we're here to, to serve kids and, and teachers. And, and I believe and, oh, there ahead. are some other organizations, as Chris mentioned, you know, that do instrument gifting. There are some other smaller groups we've encountered occasionally that are looking for donated instruments for different reasons. Mm -hmm. uh, we found not in the Atlanta area, but some other parts of the country where there are some music stores that, that operate a similar kind of thing where they take donated instruments and give them back to school programs or whatever. But to combine all the different elements that we have into this, it's pretty unique. And we have found that um, just by the minimum of advertising and making ourselves searchable for people seeking to donate instruments, we get them from all 50 states um, and even outside of the country um, because there just aren't that many options. If you're looking to donate a used instrument, there's not a lot of places that you can that are looking for. Them right yeah, now. I've, I've been told many times that people have tried to donate instruments and they found it to be very difficult um, so it's, it's, it is like Scott said, it's, there's some small little pockets, but this is something, and you talked about the vision and our footprint. I mean, the, the, the vision eventually is for this to be a nationwide, uh, endeavor with, no, uh, that was my next, that was my next question. Uh, yeah. Is this something that you find, is this like, 
you know, make a wish. We're talking about make a wish big in, in terms of having different regional locations and, and what have you. That's the vision. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's the dream. I mean, we've, we've targeted some cities uh, that we feel like would be the next best places for us to go. Um, we're not ready to, to open up another chapter yet until we feel <laughs> like we've made this one completely rock solid and we've learned everything we need to learn and we've got all the systems in place. We've been very meticulous over, the, over this seven years. Wow seven years of, of building everything always with growth in mind. When, when we need to get a new piece of software, we don't say, well, what's the minimum that we can buy today that will meet our needs? We say, well, why don't we go ahead and invest in the one that we can use today for 100 clients, but we can use in five years for 10,000 clients. That's right. And so we've, been, we've built infrastructure with growth in mind all along and, and you hear Chris and I always talking about scalability. If we do this thing and we replicate it in 10 different cities, when, when we get there, it's not an if we get there, it's a when we get there. Yeah. And, and let's talk about donations. Uh, you know, you have to, I imagine you have some donation drives. I'm curious, do you have, uh, are you connected to concerts? Do you have uh, any specific artists that are out there that are partnering with you or maybe even partnering organizations like the ATL collective here in Atlanta? You know, we've, we've looked at those things. It's, it's something that we want to be more involved in. I think getting to the point where we can add a development director that actually focuses on that, because that's a full-time job oh, yeah. um, to build those partnerships, to make it something that's, you know, tangible benefit for both sides. And, um, but it's, it's definitely been on the whiteboard since day one. Mm -hmm. We have a big whiteboard uh, and then we had to scale it down to what we could do. Really what we focused on at the very beginning was developing revenue streams via our programs that could sustain and grow operations and then provide further growth through the traditional nonprofit model of, uh, of asking for money. We found very quickly, if that's all you do, you pretty much spend all of your time raising funds and, and, and begging for money. Um, so we, we knew very quickly. And, th and by the way, that is becoming very uh, pervasive in the in the nonprofit world now is people are realizing you, you, it's a business. It, it's a corporation. We're a uh, you know we're a nonprofit corporation because we don't retain earnings or issue stock and nobody owns it, um, which is great. Uh, but we still have all the other trials and tribulations of any other business. So you still have to find ways to get money because oddly enough, Seth, people like to get paid. I I still can't figure that out. But uh, you know, employees don't work for free. Oddly enough, we have yet to find money that just falls out of the sky. Like leaves off <laughs> yeah, that nonprofit tree that we, we mm -hmm. heard about it. I, I haven't found it. Well, it's like you guys watch the show or something, because the next <laughs> question, of course, is where do you get your money? <laughs> well, it's as Chris alluded to, it's it's from the very beginning. Um, and I'll tell you why from the very beginning, because we, you know, we both, when we started this, we had, we thought a great network of friends, you know, we're both media personalities in the past. We both run in big circles. We have thousands of friends on social media and we thought, well, we'll just crowdfund. Um, you know, if every one of our friends gives us 10 bucks, you know, we don't even need to get a lot. We'll have a good seed money. Well, we, put all of our efforts into that initial, hey, we're launching this thing. And all of our friends are like, oh, this is amazing. We love it. We support it. Hey, can you give me 10 bucks? Uh, let me get back to you. And we didn't raise anything. I mean, it was it was n almost nothing at the very beginning. And, and that was a real eye-opening experience for us that 
we from that really from the beginning, we were like, we don't want to be spending all of our time trying to raise money. We just don't because it's, you know, as I as I, I went and got a degree in nonprofit management during this process. And a lot of what I learned is that, like it or not, a lot of nonprofits spend a ridiculous amount of money paying people to raise money so they can pay people to raise money so they can pay people to raise money. It's like this loop and not enough ever gets out of it to work on the programs. It's like you pay this staff and they do all this work to raise enough money just to pay the staff. And we didn't want that. So we looked at everything from the very beginning and said, how can we how can we operate a business? How can we sell things? How can we sell services? How can we provide things that people will pay for that fund the things that we want to give away? So every one of our programs has both a paid and a charitable uh, component of it. So with the instrument rentals, our, our goal as a foundation is to get as many of the free and reduced price rentals out there, but we mm -hmm. have the full price rentals that fund all of that. So we yeah. generate income renting instruments. We generate income repairing instruments. We generate income selling instruments. All of that funds the giveaways and the charities and the repairs. So we've put most of our focus on building that type of a business that, that mm -hmm. operates on a, on a income-based and revenue-based model and not a donor-based model. So those school partnerships are key. Absolutely key because, you know, and it sells itself because mm -hmm. every school that we've been to um, and we say, hey, would your parents like an option where they could rent an instrument for their kid that's the same price and the same instrument that they could get from, you know, Fred's personal music store down the street. But by renting your instrument, you're helping two other kids in need get something that they can't afford. And they're like, of course, my parents would love that. And so we've got school programs that are jumping in with both feet saying, we want to be a part of this give back greater good thing. We're going to have to buy this product or rent this product anyway. Let's get it from you and help other people in the process. Mm -hmm. And that's, and of course, people can make a donation at giftofmusic.org. So oh, sure. anyone watching, we ask you to do that or listening, giftofmusic.org. Yeah. Uh, and, and what about the, the physical donations, someone, I'm not giving my trumpet, sorry, but someone we'll, that's we'll, trumpets we'll collecting dust. We'll get it one day. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what? Yeah. You know, let's see. You know, it might, it might actually have to, you'll have to pull it out of my son's hand. So <laughs> <laughs> understood. No, obviously uh, cash donations. I don't think anybody ever turns down ever. Um, so that that's a way that, that, that if people want to, uh, to give in that way, uh, or instrument donations are, are a big part of what we do because they go into our programs, whether that be the access to instrument program uh, that creates absolute impact or whether it goes into the sales program and it creates, uh, you know, revenue. For instance, if somebody donates a, a professional level trumpet that's worth five grand, that doesn't go into a sixth grader's hands. That would be dumb. So you can take that five grand trumpet, sell it, and turn that around into 10 or 15 brand new student horns for the program. Mm -hmm. So that's also part of the model. Yeah. So I would say that's one of your innovations there. That's something yeah. that make that that's not just, you know, so get, give give what you can and you're going to make the best out of it. And if it's something like uh, uh, an instrument that just can't be used, you still have a way to Absolutely. turn that into something. Absolutely. We either use it for parts in our repair shop or or whatever, because I mean, it is important to note that our focus is on instrumental music at the beginner level. You know, we're focusing on fifth and sixth grade kids wanting to play a band or orchestra kind of instrument. 
So all of the other donations that don't fit into that mold, we have to convert to cash, which then gives us the ability to buy and repair and serve more of those instruments. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it would be early on, we thought we were going to be able to be this. We could provide any instrument to anybody anywhere. And we realized it's, that's just not feasible. You have to have a bit of a focus. And we, we knew in our heart that beginners is where it's really all about, because that's where that's the decision-making point. If a kid can't afford to get started they're they're going to miss out. But as we can help them that's get right. the first instrument and get started, yeah. that's what we're trying to do. And what about lessons? Are you tied into giving folks lessons as well or? Well, that's a that's a good uh, a good segue there. Almost like you've done this before, Seth. Um, now, one of the we again innovation. We talk a lot about that and and being different and taking the model that is kind of the way we've always done it and and putting it into the future. We have a concept right now um, that would be kind of an innovative lessons model based more of a recording studio type atmosphere than just a gray box in a music store a five by five with a bad fluorescent light and dirty carpet. Um, oh, I remember those. Yeah. Remember those days we've all been in them. So we're, we're working on that right now that again would have a, a charitable component, obviously yeah. a full price component as well. And we're seeing that as something that is, is, is long-term. A lot of people ask us about lessons. It is definitely something we want to get into as Scott alluded to. And I think I did a little bit at the beginning, the access to music education program, um, replaces or creates those instrumental music programs where they've been eliminated or didn't exist. Um, so that's as close as we get to lessons. The personal lessons is coming. It's coming. And we, uh, you know, one more time of innovation, we're working with curriculum people and music technology people. We envision it having a lot more music tech component than traditional mm -hmm. teach you to play a trumpet and scales. Okay, fine. We can teach you to play Mary Had a Little Lamb, but how about if you can create a rhythm track under that and play your beginner notes and produce it on, on your iPad into something that is really cool? You know, that'll engage more kids. That'll get them more interested in music. Yeah. You know, a lot of music education, unfortunately, is stuck in the mind of where the people learned it, the teachers who learned it 40 years ago. And they're not lining up with what the kids have in their fingertips right now. They can yeah. create with technology as five-year-olds. We've got to meet them there and say, let's take the traditional pedagogy of music, combine it with what they already know how to do in the tech at their fingertips and make it an even more entertaining and fun and, and uh, addictive music education. Now, how is there not like an Atlanta music coalition that's like ties Atlanta Music Project, uh, the Atlanta you know, ATL Collective and these other music organizations all together? It seems well, like there's a You should start one. You just came up with a great idea. Put it on your whiteboard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and obviously we've talked to those people and they have uh, amazing missions, amazing programs. They, you know, um, they're very, very, very niche in what they want to do, which is great. Uh, I mean, they, they, but we want, you know, our broad thing talks about being uh, more than just a program in a city. We want to be a resource for the entire country. And yeah, that's just I love different it. In, and in we're business. always looking for other organizations to partner with. We've sure. a lot of synergy with other organizations when we can, and we work together as much as possible. I find a lot of the, uh, f from talking to so many Atlanta organizations, there is a synergy. People, uh, the nonprofits here are a little bit more, I find, are very open to working together. Whereas often it gets a little touchy because, you know, a music organization, two mu three music organizations kind of going after the same donors, but not really. And, um, and, and so people are seeing the bigger picture of that. Um, and so, 
Um, so yeah, is there is do you have anything coming up? Is there anything else uh, you wanted to share uh, as we uh, near a well, half hour? One thing that I would mention is I, I, I talked about our repair facility and that mm-hmm. we added some really high quality folks that are doing the repair work now. And our repair shop manager, Allison Skull, um, is a master technician. She's also loves to teach. So we have begun teaching instrument repair classes. Oh, that's uh, smart. Primarily targeted for band directors, but would be open for anybody because the more that they can do when a kid walks up and says, my trumpet valve is stuck. If they've mm-hmm. been trained a little bit more to be able to fix it, it helps all of us because it keeps that instrument in the kid's hand. Um, you know, some places would think, well, they could send it to you and they could pay you to fix it. We don't need that. We want the instrument working and we want the relationship there that they trust us and they know that our repair facility is is one of the best in town. So that's a, a thing that we're doing now that we're really trying to draw a lot of attention to is these uh, training classes in instrument repair for anybody that wants to learn. That's, that's fantastic. It could lead to so many other things, too. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and what what about um. What about the instrument companies themselves, you know, Con or any of these major, uh, do they, do they like, do they send you any of their uh, late models or anything like that? We do work with uh, one company. Um, We have been able to work through the Con Selmer Education Division. Um, They're the largest American instrument manufacturer. And the majority of the newer instruments that we have purchased to put into our programs have come through them. So they have definitely worked with us. Uh, That's great. I, w- I would think that an organ- a company would be willing to give you all a discount so that, so, you know, again, take that $5,000 trumpet and that's how you're going to turn it into 15. Beginner sure. instruments. They, they, they cooperative. Yeah. yeah. Well, wonderful. Guys, thank you so much for your time today. I want to remind everyone to go to uh, giftofmusic.org. Uh, to go ahead and make a donation. To check out the site. Lots of resources, lots of information there. And uh, before I let you all go, Coffee Connections is based on you all recommending our next guest. Our guests get to recommend future guests. Is there a nonprofit innovator in Atlanta that you'd like to recommend for Coffee Connections? Absolutely. Center for Hard to Recycle Materials, or their acronym is CHARM, and it's uh, under the Live Thrive organization. Their website is livethrive.org. Peggy Whitlow is their executive director. We actually got connected with them early in our uh, early in our uh, our history. Uh, we had a donor that called us, and I, I couldn't call them back to donate a saxophone. And I called her back three days later, and she said, "Well, I'm sorry, I was moving. I just took it to this place called Charm on Hill Street." So I called Peggy. And it turned out to be a $5,000 vintage sought-after saxophone that somebody uh-huh. dumped off for recycling. So we we quickly realized, hmm, there's probably some uh, connection here. And she has been a phenomenal connection. Um, I think Scott may have said it earlier in the in the interview that, uh, you know, at the very least, if we get an instrument or uh, it ends, you know, we get it in, it's unrepairable, or it mm-hmm. reaches the end of its useful life. We take that metal back to her for recycling. It keeps it out of the landfill. And, of course, they, they make some money on the scrap metal, too. So uh, oh, great organization. They keep a lot of stuff out of landfills. That's that's the, the whole thing with Charm. Yeah. Well, I look forward to that uh, intro. Thank you so much. And and last thing before I let you go, Scott, do you play an instrument? Or I do. Uh, tuba was my primary instrument. Tuba and Chris? Tuba was my primary instrument. It's really scary. Scott and I have a lot of similarities. <laughs> I We both are low brass players, tuba, euphonium, trombone, baritone. Uh, I went into the percussion realm for a while and uh, have also done uh, keyboards and, and drums as well. 
Uh, if it's got a whole bunch of keys or strings on it right now, I don't play it. So <laughs> I, I have played keys in some bands around the Atlanta area over years too. So that's, that's the hobby side. I uh, gotcha. Well, when someone asks me what I play, I never tell them the trumpet. I tell them the steering wheel of my car. That's that my was, instrument. Yeah. And that <laughs> hey, is fellas, a skill. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Uh, everyone will be back. Uh, you can check out the calendar at coffeeconnections.live. Uh, Chris Scott, thank you so much. Giftofmusic.org. We'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.